Hi, my name is Brian, and I'm the lead pastor at Grand Valley Church. We hope that this message helps you explore faith and connect with Jesus. Today we are wrapping up our Advent series. And Advent is a season of preparing for change. It's not really something we celebrate, but it's this season of preparing ourselves for how things are going to change when we get to Christmas Eve and when we get to recognizing the significance of Jesus coming into the world. And so our Advent theme for today is love. And we're not talking about love in the way that a Hallmark movie talks about romantic love or the way we might talk about how we love a certain gift that we receive on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. We're talking about a bigger and a deeper embodiment of love that Advent leads us to think about and prepare ourselves for how this changes with Jesus' birth. And so today I want to start with a non-typical Advent passage. Maybe this is a passage of scripture you might not think we would go to on Advent, but it's part of understanding this Advent theme of love. And so we're going to spend some time today in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John. And these Gospels are accounts of Jesus' life. The first four books of the New Testament are accounts of Jesus' life, telling us about who Jesus is from the perspectives, two of whom are eyewitnesses and And two of them are writing kind of compilations based on other people's eyewitnesses' accounts. And so this passage happens late in Jesus' ministry. And it's this time period in Jesus' ministry during the last week of his time on earth where the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. In fact, all the religious leaders, all the big players in the religious systems of the time are trying to get rid of Jesus because he has upset the boat too much. He is been teaching and doing things that have upset them because he is not understanding scripture and revealing God the way they were revealing God. And so the Pharisees are kind of taking the lead at this point in scripture. And one of the things we need to understand about the Pharisees is they began during this time period known as the second exile. So Israel had the promised land for a time period and then they lost it and they went back into exile. And what happened is the Pharisees began with this question of saying, how do we still worship God when we've lost the temple, when we've lost the focal, physical point of our covenant with God, the place where all our temple practices happened, the place where their whole sacrificial system was based? When that is removed from the picture, how do we still worship God? And so the Pharisees were trying to figure out this answer, figure out this question. And so the Pharisees ended up kind of settling on saying that, well, whatever in the law we can still do, we should be utmostly devoted to those portions of the law. And so they took whatever they still could do, things like their kosher laws, things like their practice of how they'd interact with each other that was governed by the law, their legal system from the law, and they just went and leaned into that completely hardcore, completely taking everything as serious and strictly as they could. But the thing is, Jesus didn't agree with a lot of their interpretations and understanding of the law. And so, in Matthew 22, one of these Pharisees, an expert in the religious law, tries to trap Jesus with this question. He says, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? They're trying to get Jesus to say something they can use against him. And so, Jesus replies this way, He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. He said, this is the first and greatest commandment. Now, not much they can do to trap Jesus with that answer. But then Jesus says something that that 
is a little startling to them probably. He says, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that alone doesn't seem that controversial. But then what Jesus says next is what would have bothered the Pharisees the most. He says, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And some translations will render the Greek that Jesus is speaking, and they say, hang upon these two commandments. Basically saying, these two commandments are the foundation point. They are the most critical point that if these two commands were removed, the rest of the law will crumble. Now, what kind of love is Jesus talking about when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul? And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, this isn't like the way we will talk sometimes about loving our favorite food. This is bigger than that. This is deeper than that. And in a New Testament gospel sense, this love that Jesus is talking about is talking about the kind of love that has social and moral implications on how we live our lives. This is a love that has outward, tangible actions that come out from it. Jesus is talking about a love that, that changes the way we interact with the people around us. And so, when Jesus talks about this, when he, if we go back and we break down those two commandments, the first portion where he says, you know, love the Lord your God. He's talking about love in a way that orientates us towards God, that actually leads us to see the world the way that God sees us and the way that God sees the world. To look around at one another, when he says, love your neighbors yourself, to look around at other people and see them the way that God sees them. That our social interactions with one another and our sense of morality, our sense of right and wrong in how we interact with others is based upon this deeper sense of love. In fact, our actions to live out this type of law, our actions have to take into consideration the the way that our choices affect the people around us. Because no person lives in an isolated bubble where their choices do not affect the people around them. And if you want proof of that, all you have to do is drive recklessly and you will recognize how badly uh, your choices are affecting all the vehicles around you. Now, don't actually do that. But we actually have that power in a way of affecting the people around us in ways greater than we know. But the problem is, is without intention, we will do that poorly rather than doing that well. And I think there's a specific reason why Jesus gave this kind of an answer to these Pharisees, because the Pharisees were all about rules and legalism. And one of the the core parts of the Pharisees is they believed and they understood that if everyone followed God the way that they did, that the world would be better off as a whole, that Israel could be restored if everyone just followed the law as strictly as the Pharisees did. But they missed out on something big. Now, first off, they missed out that that the Messiah was right in front of them, that Jesus was right there, the anointed one from God, God himself who stepped into the world. But the other thing they missed out on is that without love as the foundation, obedience to any commandment, will decline into legalism. All the commandments of the law were built on this foundation of love, and the Pharisees were focusing on the commandments instead of the love underneath it. 
And so whatever they taught would decline into legalism. And we can look at this and say, well, that was their problem then, but this is the same problem that exists right now in our current time. In fact, Jesus was trying to reframe this, the whole covenant, that without love we turn to legalism. And that is something that still happens in the new covenant that God created with us, is that as followers of Jesus, as Christians, if we forget about this love part, this love that socially and morally influences and shapes us, our practice of our faith will decline into legalism. In fact, to understand that, all we have to do is look around at what are the perceptions of Christians. And part of the problem of that is which voices are the loudest and the strongest in Christianity right now are often the voices that are pushing towards legalism. The, the voices that are pushing away from this foundation of love underneath it. See, we can swing to legalism when we forget or if we fail to demonstrate this authentic love of Christ that we as his followers are meant to embody and reveal to the world. Because within Scripture, within the entire Scripture, our Old Testament, which is the Hebrew Scriptures, and the New Testament or New Covenant that God created with us, within Scripture is a love story of God desiring for his creation, that's us, the world, everything he's created, to experience and know his love. That is the underlying narrative of our entire scriptures. And whenever we read scripture, whenever we seek to understand it or or we're looking for answers for something, we need to interpret our scriptures through this lens of it being a big story of God revealing his love to us. Now, 2020 might be a year that we want to forget, that we want to eventually just look back on it and be like, man, that was a crazy year. Let's put it in the past. But as difficult as this year has been, if we look at the stories of Scripture and we look at the events that God's people have endured that our world has gone through in the past, 2020 doesn't rank that high on the list anymore. In fact, this big love story is completely saturated with stories of difficulty, with adversity, with pain, with just crazy things that we look at now and say, man, I'm glad we're not living in that era. If we go right to the beginning, if we go to Abram, the very first patriarch of our faith, the first man that, that God gives this message to, that where he tells him, if you leave your land, your country, your family, and if you go where I tell you to go and you follow what I'm going to give you, all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. God gives this promise to Abraham when Abraham has no prior reference for God fulfilling his promises because this is the first massive big promise that God gives to Abram. And he changes his name to Abraham and Abraham leaves and follows even though he has no bearings, no basis point for proof that God will live up to his promises. And even though Abraham and his wife are elderly and old and they have no children of their own, They believe and they choose to trust. And then later on, a few generations down, Jacob and his family endure this time period where the whole world experiences seven years of famine, seven years of crop failures, seven years of where herds are just not growing, 
where the world is experiencing a famine that is unparalleled, but through his son's jealousy, where they take the youngest son and they beat him and they throw him in a pit and they sell him to slave traders. God works through that story and Joseph becomes second in command of Egypt and leads Egypt through this seven years of bounty before the seven years of famine. And Egypt becomes the only place in the world with food. And so Jacob and his family end up being brought into Egypt where they will survive, where this descendants of Abraham are protected. See, God uses that moment and steps in to show his love to them there. And if we skip ahead, the people who are now known as the Israelites, they become slaves for generations in Egypt. And so God intervenes again and he sends Moses and Aaron to lead the people out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And there they spend 40 years wandering the desert until that generation has died off. And then the next generation is the ones who get to inherit the promised land, this, this promise that was given to Abraham, but it's still not a complete fulfillment of it because when they enter the promised land, they don't fulfill what they were supposed to do. They don't fulfill the law. They don't fulfill living out God's love. They don't fulfill what they're supposed to do. And so as a result, even though there are some highlights and some high points during their time period in the land, eventually the land splits in two, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And eventually each of those nations, Israel and Judah, are conquered as a result of their sin and disobedience. But even then, God is still active in the midst. And God is still speaking about this time when he will send his Messiah, his anointed one. And we could go on and on in these stories and instances where God's hope and his love for the people still shines through. But eventually we get to this point where God steps into history, where he sends an angel to speak to a young unmarried woman named Mary and says, good news is upon you. You will become pregnant and you will bear a son and his name shall be Jesus and he is the Messiah, the anointed one that God has promised. Now, we need to recognize that in this time period, for Mary to be pregnant before marriage, for Mary to be pregnant when she is only engaged or betrothed, to Joseph. The result of that is death. And so this risky situation, Joseph could have rejected Mary, but God speaks to Joseph as well and says, no, no, this is of me. This is how I am showing my love to the world. And so God himself steps into the world, but even then it is not without pain and trials. They have to go to Bethlehem when Mary is pregnant and they give birth in a stable and there's no real, the people don't recognize what's going on. The only people who know about it and recognize what's going on is a group of shepherds who are visited by angels because the birth of the Messiah deserves a witness. And that witness is this group of shepherds. But shortly after that, they have to flee to Egypt to escape Herod's wrath because Herod, the king of the time, all he wants to do is hold on to the power that he has as a puppet king of the area. But in every time of pain, trial, and devastation through Scripture, God keeps showing up to reveal his love in the middle of what's happening. And again, this is that love, that love that shapes and changes us. And in fact, it's this love that causes God to step into the story. And if we go over to the Gospel of John, early on in his ministry, at a time period when the Pharisees haven't figured out yet that Jesus is not going to agree with them on things. 
one of the Pharisees, who's also a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the time period, who is under Roman authority themselves. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus late at night. He doesn't want people to know he's going to Jesus. And he starts asking Jesus questions about what he's teaching. And Jesus responds to one of his questions this way. He says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. See, love is God's entire motivation for why he chooses to step into the world. Why he chooses to come, not to judge, not to condemn, but to save the world by creating a new covenant, a new path, a new way of having a relationship with God. Love is the foundation of everything God has done, is doing, and is yet to do still. And if we jump ahead to the last week that Jesus has on earth, the last evening that he has with his disciples, Jesus tells his disciples this. He says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Earlier, Jesus was asked about what's the most important commandment of the law. And he says, love God and love others. And then here, he summarizes that even more condensed. And he says to his disciples, this is the new command. This is what you follow. This is the marching orders. This is what your role as my followers is, to love each other just as I have loved you. And that love is what will prove to the world that we belong to Jesus. It's not our rule following, not our beliefs, not the way we practice our faith. That is not going to reveal to the world who Jesus is, but our love. Remember, our love that shapes our interactions, that shapes our morality, that shapes our choices, that shapes our perspectives, even shapes the way we vote, the way we, the way we follow public health orders, is shaped by this kind of love that Jesus is calling us to. Not the legalism of the Pharisees. This kind of love isn't easy. In fact, living out the kind of love that Jesus teaches always has a cost involved in it. This is not easy. This is not simple. And Paul, one of the apostles who lived after Jesus and he traveled and he planted churches and he wrote the letters that form most of our New Testament Paul, in his letter to the Philippian church, describes it this way, that this love had a cost even to God. And he writes this about Jesus. He says, instead, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took a humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. In order for God to show his love to us by stepping into the world, he had to choose to give up his divine privileges so that we could relate to Jesus. And then what's more, even when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Now, we often don't look forward to Easter at Christmas time. We don't like thinking about that this infant, this baby born to Mary, would grow up 
to be executed. We don't like thinking about that at Christmas, but that is the cost that God bears in order to reveal his love to us. And so we have to ask this question of ourselves. Can we accept the cost of love shaping our actions in how we act both morally and socially? Are we willing to accept the cost that comes with living out the implications of love? Are we willing to give up our comfort, our pride, our preferences? Can we set those things aside in order to show love when it is needed the most? What do we have to be willing to give up? Can we accept this cost of love shaping our actions? Because when it comes to Christmas, when it comes to Advent, this season of preparing ourselves for how everything will change with the birth of a baby, at Christmas, we celebrate the greatest act of love ever shown to us, that God steps into the world to reveal his love to us, that God himself chooses to put on flesh and steps into our world to reveal a new path and a new understanding of our relationship with God. That is what love is. That is what love motivates us to do. What motivated God to step into the world to make a path for us to know his love. So are we willing to accept that cost? Are we willing to accept that responsibility that when we are loved by God this deeply, are we willing to let it shape our actions and our choices when we interact with the people around us? And so my hope this Advent season, as we've been preparing ourselves for a Christmas that is not going to be the way we want Christmas to be, but can we choose to still see opportunities for love in the midst of this? Can we still choose to have our actions shape and reflect the love of our Savior that is revealed by him coming to earth to teach and to lead, to die and to resurrect, and then to ascend so that we could have the relationship with him that God desires. And so that we could embody that love for other people around to see as well. So this Advent, I pray that And I hope that you would spend some time meditating and thinking about this kind of love, this kind of deeper love, and may it influence and shape our actions and our choices and how we interact with those around us this Christmas time. Thank you for joining with us for our online service today. Thank you for joining us for our Christmas in the Midst series. And don't forget to sign up for a Christmas Eve kit if you want to pick one up. But anyways, whether you grab a kit or not, I really want to invite you to make it part of your Christmas celebration to spend the time to sit and join in our online service on demand at at a time that works for you so that together, even as we are spread apart in our own homes, that together we can mark and remember the importance of Jesus coming into the world and the hope that he brings. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you know of someone that would benefit from hearing the message you just listened to, 
would you do us a favor and share this podcast with them? And while you're at it, please consider subscribing to be the first to hear when our podcast is updated. If you want to join in on Sundays, our services are streaming online at 11 a.m. Central. To find out more about our church, go to mygrandvalley.ca and you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for My Grand Valley. Thanks for listening. Thank you.